nonagenarian wins the lottery. The day after, he drops dead. A man suffering from aviophobia musters the courage to board an airplane, only to have it crash after takeoff. A woman enjoys a glass of Chardonnay when, tragically, it's invaded by a black fly. These are some of the examples of irony from Alanis Morissette's 1996 mega-hit Ironic. While the song has caused debate about what defines something possessing the quality of irony, six years later, the Dillinger Escape Plan teamed up with alt-rock legend Mike Patton to define irony itself. Together, they declared, it was a dead scene. Welcome to Punkorama, where we are dedicated in our endeavor to get to every epitaph ever, where we wax poetic on nostalgia and aesthetics, so welcome aboard from your podcast warlord. That's me, and it's good to be with you guys again, uh, talking about a pretty fucking interesting record today. And uh, with me, you may have seen my guests in the shadows at the Fillmore, the soundstage, or Six and I. Question mark? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, or com- we, I didn't know we were really going to talk about work, but yeah. Complaining <laughs> about how he needs to start playing drums again. The trademark holder of the idea for a Cincinnati Bengals shirt that says Cincinnati Bagels <laughs> is Jimmy Rose, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? That's the research I did on you, by the way. That's really funny. It's all on Twitter. Where we don't the, have to talk about work. Where did the Bagels thing come from? I don't remember saying that. You did. That's great. You said, why hasn't someone made a t-shirt yet <laughs> at Cincinnati bagel- Bengals, but with bagels? <laughs> Glad you can still crack of yourself up course, after all of these years. Of course I would say that. Why wouldn't I say that? Why wouldn't you say that? Yeah. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> and if someone hasn't done it yet, fucking someone do it and then pay Jimmy a bunch of money because it was his yeah. idea. Yeah, the intro is funny. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, just because the mentioning the music venues, I never think about, you know, that type of work thing. I you know, it's mostly just band stuff all the time. Oh, so, yeah, oh. no, yeah, no. Sorry. That's, well, that's that's no, that's, what that's awesome. Was yeah. given to me because that's I met, I met you through Jeff, so that's really cool. Because Jeff does a lot of our posters for a lot of shows that we book at those venues, which is great. As so Jeffrey Everett, who is the guest on the uh, Anchors Away episode, for yeah. those of you out there, he's the best. But uh, so you're with me. And while I'm here visiting DC, doing all this stuff, are you from here? Yeah, so I'm from DC. Um, I was born in a hospital in DC, which no longer exists. <laughs> but okay. uh, that's very rare. Like everybody in DC is not from DC. Uh huh. Very trendy city. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was born here, and I lived here through high school. Then I lived in Nashville for a few years, and oh, another cool music town. Yeah, playing yeah. a band there. Um, it was really right south of Nashville in Murfreesboro. I went to like music business school there. Okay. And then I toured a bunch um, with some different bands down there um it's actually kind of how i end up meeting the dillinger guys but uh oh well we'll get to that in a yeah. little bit um yeah which is funny i almost didn't pick this record because i was like I shouldn't pick a record where i have friends that are in the band but like i don't care like, sure <laughs> i just love this record and i was like no one else is gonna pick this record for whatever reason i was just thinking like who's who else is gonna pick this that's a great way <laughs> yeah, of thinking about yeah. it because it's it's a it's a it's probably their most Interesting release to date, yeah. but what, how? So oh, hold on, how old were you when you moved to Nat? When you moved to Nashville? Uh, right when I graduated high school, okay. I was eighteen. Okay, and I was there until I was uh, almost yeah, I was twenty. 
Okay. And then I left. I was in a band down there called the Tony Danza Tap Dance Stravaganza for a couple years. That's fun. And then I uh, actually ended up joining this band called All's Failed in Philly that Chris from Dillinger played on the oh. record for. Um, and he and I talked, and I told him that Tony Danza was breaking up at the time. And uh, he's like, dude, why don't you play in this band All's Failed? Just play on the record. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. So, like, <laughs> so I I packed up all my stuff, my Chevy Blazer one night, and uh, I was supposed to sign my lease and pay tuition like the next day. Mm-hmm. And I just like left. And I just came came back <laughs> came back to DC. Showed up at my mom's house. She's like, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "I'm joining a hardcore band in Philly." I didn't have the I didn't have like the gig yet. Sure, but um, <clears throat> I learned the two songs and I. Showed up there and uh, <laughs> learned the two songs. Yeah, they're like just learn these two songs, and if you get those, then it's fine. Yeah. And like I listened to everything, I was like, that's fine. I, I I think I can do this. Right. I showed up, and I felt like I crushed the songs, and I I was like, I gotta run outside and get my water. I was like, I was like nineteen. Sure. I like run outside get my water, come back, and these guys are like twenty nine. They're just like cracking up. And they're like, well, why? <laughs> I was like, why are you guys laughing? Um, like, well, we're just thinking about if, if Chris Penny had told told us that you were uh, a pretty good drummer and that you should do this. And if you had come here and if you had sucked, how funny it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I hope I didn't suck. <laughs> like, no, but you do need to beat us some go-karts and batting cages and uh, putt-putt, three of the four of us, because going on tour, playing shows is the worst part. <laughs> I was like... All right, so you guys love fun. This is going to work out just fine. You and love fun specifically from like from the date in a 90s movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was really it was a really good experience. So. But but so but you grew up in like fucking DC proper and this is like a serious music town. More specifically, it's like a serious like punk town. Yeah. So I so I was born in DC. I lived in DC till I think I was 5 and right. then we moved to Silver Spring. Oh, okay. Um, Where we are now. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so I, my dad actually uh, used to have a bunch of surf skate shops in D.C. And uh, what were they called? They're called Sunshine House. Okay. Uh, before that, uh, he used to work at um, Bethesda Surf Shop. Okay. It's funny, like I think Sean Brown from Dagnasty bought his first board from my dad. He never talked about that the other night. Um, I th- and then I think he said that Jason Farrell did. Jason Farrell used to work at the shop, I think. And um, yeah, so there's that whole Dagnasty Swizz connection. That's and fucking cool. Yeah, he like, I mean like, just hearing stories about Ian and Henry and stuff like, when they were growing up like skating around town and they were like on a skate team and just hearing all those stories like absolutely crazy. Like I remember like watching Bones Brigade stuff like when I was a kid and it was like really really cool to grow up In seeing that, all that yeah. stuff. But I feel like I was always born a decade too late. Like really? I should have been born a decade earlier because like. I love all that stuff just mm-hmm. from being a kid, but like I can't imagine being thirteen during that time instead of three. You know, yeah. like, it would have been absolutely epic. Right. <laughs> to be able to be in the middle of all that stuff. Yeah. So that's amazing. You had like this this cool dad who was like who like did all who had these like cool shops. Like that's like Yeah, that's it like was a, it was very I was very, very lucky. Yeah. So did so you you were like exposed to like that whole like sort of world of all this stuff. Yeah. When you were growing up around here. What yep. was like the what was like the record store you went to? Uh, well, let's see. I would like, man, I would take the metro to Foggy Bottom and w- walk over to Georgetown and go to Smash. That was like my main spot. Smash when, when it was in Georgetown. It's in Adams Morgan now. Uh, it was like a t- it's a total punk 
CD record store. Um, well, what, what was it like? Like, what did it look like back it, then? I mean, there was, you walked in and there was like punk flyers to your left, like of like every show you could think of. And that's one of the main reasons why I went, um, you know, not only to, to buy CDs, but like to seeing what shows are coming up. Like sure. I would like spend my Saturday to get down there to like pick up all these flyers and see what's coming up and like hopefully make it to a show. Like I'd say like every weekend section, looking at the shows and I just started going to shows more and more and more. Um, Around what year was this? That was uh, I guess like 97. Okay. Like seventh grade is when I really started to like take the time to go into the city more and go to any record store I could. Like whether it was, there was an HMV in Georgetown at one point. I'd go to Tower Records in Rockville all the time. I would just Metro everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to grow up around here and not need a car as a kid. You know, like when you're 16, obviously you get it, you get your license, but right. you can use the Metro as a kid to go everywhere. And it's awesome. You can explore the city, go places that your parents don't know you go to just to check it out with your friends. And uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, we were able to like go to shows and make it back without parents like worrying about picking us up or dropping us off. It was cool. Would um, you would you go to each of those different record shops for like t- different things? Like each record shop was like good at a different thing, or like yeah, what, like what Smash definitely had like the the hardcore and punk and okay. metal stuff that like I was looking for. Like I remember I bought Snapcase Progression Through and Learning there. Um, you know, I remember buying like Vision Disorder there. Like, uh, man, I and it's funny. Like I had a lot of the punk stuff just through my dad. Like I mean, first records I ever heard were like, I mean, like first bands I remember hearing were like Ramones, Clash, The Jam, Bad Brains, Minor Threat, Black Flag, like right away. Right. Like, I remember that right away. Um, that definitely shaped me for sure. Um, so like the, you didn't, you weren't like, there, there seemed to be like have not been any kind of period in your life where you were like, I'm born, I'm a kid, and then I discover punk or hardcore. It seemed to be like this like intrinsic thing yeah. that was just always there while like other dads were playing like, not to say that this stuff wasn't there, but like yeah. the Beatles or like Steely Dan yeah. and all that shit. Your dad was fucking playing like. Yeah, he was like going to Elvis Costello and okay. and punk. That's awesome. Um, it was, it, yeah, because I remember hearing like, like separating the fact that there was like Elvis Costello and like Fleetwood Mac. I, like I put those in like one category. Like I would hear that, and then but then I'd hear like Ramones and I'd hear Bad Brains, and I'd be like, oh, that's two different worlds. But I just loved it because it was just awesome music. Yeah. Um, so I was very fortunate to grow up around that type of stuff right away. Sure. Whereas a lot of friends got their punk stuff from me later, just like not knowing what it was. I mean, I remember like working at this music store. I was a senior or no, no, I was a junior in high school. It's in Wheaton. It's called Washington Music Center. Is it still open? Yeah, it's still there. It's like one of the longest running independent cool. music stores. Uh, and it's massive. Um, but they, uh, I remember getting there. I'm, I didn't really know a lot of kids that were into music. I went to like a private guy school. Um, and then, you know, some some kids in my grade were into it, but they, didn't, they weren't like fully playing in bands and like really into it. Like a lot of kids were in the area in other schools. So I met these guys at the music center where we worked and um, they were like looking through my CD book, like the Case Logic book. And they're like, it's Meshuggah. Like, what's. Dillinger skate plan like what's mm-hmm. glass jaw just like looking through all the stuff that I had and they were listening to like fish and like <laughs> <laughs> they were like they were into like the weed world of high school they yeah. were like they loved like sublime and incubus and stuff and then like they checked out my case lodge and they're like whoa like 
what? Like, I mean, they knew certain stuff. Like, they were into, like, they were Deftones, which is great. Sure. Um, but I think Deftones kind of, like, segued them to, like, checking out heavier stuff because they were just like, what is this? Like, right. they nicknamed me Hardcore Jimmy because they're just like, <laughs> this guy's a hardcore. I don't, I don't know what to do. So, so like, I'm still friends with them, too. They're, like, the, they're the best. Yeah. They're like Case Logic. You'd open it up and you'd see, yeah. like, the artwork of the CDs. And, like, it's probably got a ton of, like color and stuff like that and then yeah. you open yours up and everything's like either on the grayscale <laughs> or dark or some shit like that right it's like that's like probably an interesting yeah. thing about it so do you remember like so you had this like great influence of like all of this you know seminal punk stuff like going into you do you remember like when you were going to these record stores like one what was like some of the first records you bought that you were like oh, okay well i know all this stuff but like now i want to check out these guys or this stuff um it's funny, I would, like, read liner notes all the time of, like, any yeah, CD yeah. that I bought, and I would just, be like, look at the thank you lists. That's and, a like, great way to find this. I was just, yeah. like, you know, like, I remember, like, getting, you know, Nirvana and just reading liner notes and just, I think that's, I think that's how I discovered Melvin's and Jesus Lizard and, and all, like, all those bands. I remember, like, seeing, um, you know, I think on Rage Against Machines liner notes, it said, like, Girls Against Boys and stuff like that. And when I should have known about Girls Against Boys earlier... Just from being in DC, and I'd seen the name, but like seeing it on a thank you list, I was like, "Oh man, I really gotta check that out." Because I was so young at that point, I was right? Like sixth, seventh grade, and um, the, the, like that's like the liner <laughs> notes were like another part of this, like you know, now like we just have like Spotify Discover and all that, but like that was another yeah. piece of this like more more like tangible world of like compilations and like checking out bands on liner notes and yeah. what bands are opening up for compilations were big too yeah, yeah. or like i would uh and I, I bring this up a few times like playing fucking like tony hawk or video games yeah. that have like cool soundtracks and or like, like that anti-matter comp that was like norman brandon's old thing that he did he's in texas the reason okay yeah, other yeah. Bands. um he is the man um but he put out the anti-matter comp now that quicksand song what was it shovel that was like and i was like that is the best quicksand song ever i'm really like finding quicksand tape at my dad's shop for slip um or it was like after the shop closed and like he had slip i think it was yeah and i put it in and i heard line wait and i was like that's one of the songs that like changed my life i was like this song is the shit right like i was like <laughs> this is because it was heavy uh it was very melodic um, and it was very pissed off sounding. Yeah. And it was very, it was like, it was like equally as uh, punishing as it was beautiful, but not cheesy. Like combining those two. I guess it's a hard it, balance to It blended to it very well. Because yeah. like you try to mix all those things and it can come out like kind of contrived and it's like, oh, yeah. this, this, this doesn't sound right. It's not meshing well with this. But yeah, that's a good way to blend all that yeah. stuff together. So do you remember the first time you heard this record, Irony's a Dead Scene? It came out in 2002. Yeah. I remember I went to the... CD store in Murfreesboro. I think it was called um, Cats. I think it was Cats Music. I think okay. it was. It was in Murfreesboro. Um, and I went and got it the day it came out on that Tuesday. Because you were waiting for it. Or that Friday or whatever it was. Um, was it Fridays now or just the Tuesdays? Now? Tuesdays are when, when music used to come yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. So I was there. Yeah, I think I, I was there Tuesday morning. Um, I just remember getting it right when it came out because I saw like the... Did you ever see that promo video they put out for this? No. There's like a little promo video that like not a lot of people saw. It's okay. just like a homemade promo video with like showing them in the studio with Mike Patton. It's like five minutes. Uh-huh. And it's it is so eerie and awesome. Like like you're there's just like segments here and there and it shows them playing in the studio and it's like this very eerie vibe of like 
what the fuck are they working on? Like, and it was just this mysterious thing that nobody knew what it was going to be like. Uh-huh. And uh, I could not wait to get this record. At the time. I mean, I, I loved Cali Infinity, Running Board. I was, I'd been a so big you were a fan, fan already. Massive. Right, right. Like, I was a massive fan. What did you think about Dimitri leaving? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think much of it. I fi- figured they'd get somebody awesome. Right. Um, and I was just excited that Mike Patton was there. I mean, obviously, if a singer leaves a band, you know, you, you worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like I had enough faith in how important that band was to know that they wouldn't pick someone terrible. Right. You know, like, they were such a godlike band to me. I mean, you know, the surgical precision of that band and whatever they do is... Um, it's pretty mind blowing. Um, and I would never think that anybody who writes songs like that would ever settle for anything less than perfect. Sure. Yeah. So speaking of having faith in them, were you, yeah. faith, were, you <laughs> faith in, were you a faith in a more fan? Like, were you yeah. a Mike Patton fan? Like, yeah. I had with? seen Mr. Bungle before. Um, okay. I love faith. No more. Um, end up getting, I, I actually love phantom Us, like more than anything like sure. that. That director's cut record was my jam in high, like senior of high school. Like, okay. Loved it. Um, but yeah, before I came in here, I was like doing a little research to see if they'd ever done any interviews or anything on this. Like with, if Mike had done any interviews. There's not or, much out there. There's not, but I saw this one interview. It was actually with Ben. <laughs> ben was doing something for his Party Smasher mm-hmm. um, imprint, and he was interviewing Mike, and they were talking about when they were working together. Um, it was cool to kind of see that because, you know, during that time, all you had was like that one little promo video, and that was it. Like you couldn't really, really even find like promo pictures of Dillinger. You didn't really. It was like a very mysterious band. Whenever you saw them, it was like strobe lights and fog, and you had no idea like mm-hmm. what was going on. It was just an all-out assault on your senses. It was, it was just an enigma. That's yeah. like putting all this like ridiculously precision, yeah. like hardcore out there. And they would play in between like long-haired metal bands, and they'd come out like short hair, like clean-cut dudes with the longest fucking name in the world and would blow everybody out of the water and just be absolutely terrifying. Um, which is what I, you know, loved about that band. Um, but yeah, so I was a Faith No More fan, um, Mr. Bungo fan, Phantom Mass. I Big loved, Phantom Mass fan. That was, that yeah. was your patent like project that you like. Yeah. And then Tomahawk came after, right. or was it, I forget if Tomahawk was the same time or not. I remember seeing Tomahawk around 2003, 2002. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was into all those bands. I always thought he was one of the most talented people in the world. So when Dimitri left and I saw Mike Patton was coming in, I was like, they're going to get somebody awesome after this thing's done. And they had already gotten Greg before you had, this. You knew that this was, I guess, like there was no question that this was going to be like a one-off. Like this was going to be a, like a fleeting yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I, think every, I think it was kind of clear just based on sure. how the marketing was the record. It said, or even just like, alone it's just like Dillinger's Escape Plan with Mike Patton yeah. yeah so it's very clear that it's a separate thing um, I know that there was a lot of people that thought that he was the new singer and there was some confusion for a while okay um, but I never really thought that so, uh, so they like opened for Faith No More in 1999 which is apparently how they like they, yeah they, I, I, I don't know if it's the thing that led to this but like it's certainly a I don't know if they had I didn't know they opened for Faith No More I knew they did a bungle tour um but if they did overtake them more, that's sweet. But I, I didn't. I don't remember that. Uh, Might have to edit that Wikipedia page. No, no, I think yeah. that's where I. I think that's no, where it's I saw actually it from. funny. I was before I came here. I was like, I was like, man, I wonder if I 
because I was like, man, I shouldn't have picked this record just from knowing those guys. And then oh. I was looking on the Epitaph Wikipedia page and <laughs> it doesn't have this listed anywhere. And I was like, man, they got to update this shit. <laughs> so, yeah. I was like, <laughs> that stuff, the, that stuff ends because you were probably just like looking like you knew this was an Epitaph podcast. You're know, like, what Epitaph record can I pick? So well, I, well, I had already picked this and right. I was like, man, should I, should I have done this one? Should I, as I almost did Piano's Gonna Teeth, Keep You. Okay. Because I love that record, but I'm also, I'm also like buds with that, with that band too. So I was like, it's funny that two of my favorite records on that label, like, friends involved with those both those records which is awesome so why did you ultimately like pick this one or even very, at first this, is this the first one that like jumped out at you yeah 100 okay. i mean this is this record is very important i think this record to you or to music or what? i think to music in general and okay. to me as well okay. um this record uh is definitely like a gateway record for them as a band like so they did there was Dillinger era one that I look at and then this was like the segue and then there's Dillinger era two. Mm -hmm. So like, um, I mean, it's still sound that all still sounds like Dillinger, but this record to me made them seem like they could do whatever they wanted because they brought Mike Patton in and there's like electronics involved. You knew, I mean, those guys were always into nine inch nails and, you know, bands that involved more electronic -y stuff, but they weren't using it as much in, their music uh, before this. So it was kind of a good gateway to get into that from what I saw. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my outlook on it. And it's, sure. I think like as a musician and as somebody who's into music in general, it's cool for me to see bands being able to do what they want to do without getting too much backlash. Right. Uh, Cause I mean, I don't know how it would have gone if it was, you know, if they just made a record like this without someone transitioning. I mean, everybody probably, Everybody that gets this band would expect them to do something like that, but there's also there was also like a bunch of meathead fans that were just like, oh, they're heavy, like they're not heavy anymore. They have singing. This, this <laughs> is like the they're like going mainstream or like they're doing something like artsy or something like that. Yeah, I feel like there could have probably been that type of backlash. I think this made it uh, cool and easier for them to transition into what they ultimately seemed like that they wanted to get to. Right. Um, but also, let's keep in mind, like this. For those of you who don't know, this is a this is a four song EP. Yeah. This is not a full length or anything like that. This is just like it. It seemed like something they a project they wanted to work with Mike Patton on, something to carry them over. Yeah. So you had heard about this, you knew about this coming in. This wasn't something you're like, oh, they made this and you discovered. You knew about this with the lead up to it and you bought it. So that that must have been quite a bit of like kind of like build up. Like, yeah. oh, what is this thing going to be? And then you put it on and you listen to it. Did it did it meet your expectations? Did it exceed yeah. them? Was it a little bit of a letdown? What? How did you feel about it? I thought it met every expectation. Really, whether okay. it was the artwork or the vibe of the recording, like it's just very dark and eerie. Um, it's just funny. I was like, I listened to the record last night again for the first time in a long time, um, and I'm also rewatching Twin Peaks right now. Okay, I, I feel like this should have been the uh, unofficial soundtrack to. Uh, Twin Peaks in a way like because it's, it's so dark and eerie and terrifying huh. sounding sure but there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor type stuff in it right and it, it's it just so happened to be that I'm re-watching that show right now and I listen to this I was like wow there's so many parallels here and I know Mike Patton loves David Lynch but there's there are a lot of parallels that I see which could not mean anything and it probably doesn't but it's cool that I'm watching that right now I can see this because it's this record with the extreme uh, precision and 
uh, amazing orchestration and well thought out, um, uh, well thought out songs on this record, you know, meeting uh, this, ex- this extreme uh, pissed offness mm-hmm. and then throwing in lyrics like we will rock you <laughs> like, you know, little tongue in cheek things that, yeah. are, that are funny, like rock, paper, scissors. It's pretty like, much a patent thing. Exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. Which is so awesome to me. Um, and like the other thing about this record and uh, like I'm not a big hardcore like guy. This is all like, yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm like. You know, I don't have anything against it, obviously. It's just not necessarily my thing, and so I don't have that much frame of reference or context for this stuff, and particularly for, for Dillinger Escape Plan. But, like, the thing I noticed about this record, and I don't know if this was necessarily, like, a thing that Patton brought in or whether this is something they had, was, like, it's very... The production of it, it's very self-aware. Like, it plays with both of the stereo channels. Yeah. Like, it wants you... It knows you're listening to it on headphones, you know? So yeah. because of that, it takes advantage, and yeah. it, like, plays with, like, okay, this is going to be in this channel, this is going to be in the left, and this is yeah. in the right. And there's, a, like, a lot of that sort of, like, fun... Uh, I'll call it fun, at least production stuff in totally. there. Is that something that they had done in the past, or like, what do you, what do you think? Um, I think they had, but the electronic element of it is the the biggest thing that stands out to me in this record. Okay, the, well, that and, and like the fact that there's more. Uh, it's not just screaming the entire time. Yeah. Uh, there is singing, uh, whether it's sounding like they're in a cathedral with like some, you know, organ sounds in the background, or if there's um, you know, I don't know, like a movie wheel spinning, like like uh, the reel is like spinning at the, the real end. Reel, yeah, 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 the reel to reel thing at the end of the record. Let's, I mean, that's that type of stuff. So they had never really done that much electronic stuff before. But you know, when Mike does his singing, he'll do electronics with it, like in Phantom Mass. Right. In the promo video, he's actually wearing that gas mask, Mike. Like, and he's that he's in Tomahawk sometimes. It's cool just seeing that. It just seemed like a good way for them to experiment with what direction they were going to. Yeah. So I look at it as like the gateway record of like the next era. So when Dimitri left, it was almost immediately that they said that they were going to do something with Mike. So the anticipation was pretty huge, but they hadn't done, you know, like any electronic stuff, I think on the previous records, maybe like some segue stuff, but that was it. If they hadn't done this record with Mike Patton, the CP, and they just, they just went straight to, as you call it, Dillinger phase two or, or whatever. Do you think that what do you think what what do you think Dillinger Phase Two would have sounded like had they never done this like collaboration? Do you think it would think have it, been? Different I think it would have like, sounded like this. I know they wrote these songs. Sure. Uh, they already had the songs like kind of ready, okay. and they just needed a vocalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had already asked Mike, and then they got Greg. So Greg had been in the band for like a year, right. and while like while they were re- writing recording this, um, I think the the songs would have been the same. And Greg's obviously influenced by Mike, and I think. It would have been similar. I just think it made the the gate the segue easier for them to do that without getting so much backlash. Oh, interesting. So they're yeah. like, they're, we're gonna we're gonna put out something like really heightened, a really heightened version of like what we're getting at. So yeah. like, okay, it's like it's like uh, when you're about to slam into a wall and someone punches you in the head first, it like <laughs> softens <laughs> the blow almost. Well, I think like with <laughs> when your singer leaves, people don't want you to break up as a band necessarily right away i yeah. think they just want you to keep doing what you're doing mm-hmm. so i think people were just relieved the fact that they were still a band because mm-hmm. people love this band right i mean they love this band <laughs> like so i think you know with dimitri leaving uh people's first expectation is just like 
I just first thoughts in their mind is like, please still be a band. And right. I think it doesn't matter if you do like a Van Hagar type thing, like yeah. just keep doing what you're doing yeah. pretty much. And, you know, like I said before, I think everybody that really gets this band, uh-huh. like the non meatheads that really understand like the musicality of this band and like why they're so important and why they're always pushing the envelope. I think if it had just gone into the next record with Greg on vocals, it would have been fucking awesome. Okay. I just think this made the segue easier for them to get into that stuff because they just kind of blew that. They basically broke that ice with a sledgehammer using, you know, having Mike Patton as their vocalist on this EP. Do you so, remember the, uh, so do you remember the last time you listened to this EP before, you know, I talked to you and I was like, we're going to do this record? Um, Probably last year. I actually have a framed, like, a, it's like 13 by 19, like, uh, promo poster of this in my house okay it was like <laughs> the artwork on this is awesome uh, so i think about this record all the time the last time i listened to it was probably uh last october this is definitely like a fall record for me i listen to it like every fall no matter what i have that too i yeah. have like the, the the stuff i listen to in the autumn the stuff yeah. i listen to in the summer this is like one of the top ones for me it's got that weird it's almost like a Halloweeny it's hoodie weather. Yeah, it's hoodie whole weather. hoodie, hoodie, hoodie Yeah, hoodie yeah. music. Yeah, this is this is totally that for me. <laughs> yeah, and see, like, this is definitely an October November record mm-hmm. for sure. So let's. It's, this won't take long, but I guess let's let's get into it. So the first track on here is uh, is Hollywood Squares. <laughs> So you immediately start off with like a bang and like yeah. everything's right out there. And then this is like a very like. This is like a very like patent like yeah. vocal, vocal trick isn't like the, the word for it, but like uh, sort of like. I, I I don't know how to put it. Just like sort of sound, you know. Yeah, it's cool because you can he- you can hear the fact that you know this is totally a Dillinger song. Okay. Like one hundred percent. Like Ben, Chris, the, all the elements are there. But when you put Mike in it, mm-hmm. I don't look at it as on top of it, but I look at like in it. He like made that world bigger in the structure mm-hmm. that was already there. That's interesting. I don't think I don't think it seems like Dillinger with Mike on top of it. Uh, doing his own thing, I think he blends in with it well. Like mm-hmm. I think he, it's like, you know, they're he just jumped right into the song and created like a whole another soundscape with within what they're working with, w- like within that blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next track is uh, Pig Latin. This is cool. It's got that backing track right here that Chris plays over, um, with like. You know, the different percussion this is awesome. Right. The shaker you yeah. can hear there. And they were they playing with this stuff like in the in the phase one era? Like things uh, like this or they, not really? No, they they didn't do anything like that from what I remember, like at all. Like not even Yeah, no, none. <laughs> but they they did this song live and Chris had like a laptop set up and they played that. Like some some of the backing track, but they play over it pretty awesome nobody gets down on them for like like playing over a backing track or anything like that because i know there's there's like a lot of people out there 
uh, you know, who who will say like, you know, whatever's coming out in a live show should be whatever the band is like playing. Yeah. And all that stuff. Well, I mean, with that with that many experimental elements in a song, and you want the song to re- be recreated live. I mean, they're still playing everything except for like the extra percussion that he just doesn't have enough sure. for. Right, that was pretty right. much it. Yeah. Do they? Everything st- else was still live. I mean, yeah. Do yeah. they do these songs live anymore? Uh, I think last time they played, uh, they might have done When Good Dogs, but I forget. Okay. Which but, is... Um, yeah, the, these kind of phased out they did. after a while. So when they do play, it's like a big deal. Gotcha. So yeah. yeah, so the next track is what you just brought up. When Good Dogs Do Bad Things. And the thing about Dillinger... So I'm only going to play like little clips of these, but I'm going to skip through it, is they have all these like sort of very distinct parts to the songs. Yeah. And like like you said, it's the precision of them. That's like one of their hallmarks. They can like stop on a dime with something, yeah. flip it around. You very know. orchestrated, but it doesn't sound out of place. Like They can go from very technical, blasty uh, parts um, that are very um, rhythmic, uh, just super complex rhythmic blasty parts to this, but they can blend it well so it doesn't sound out of place. I think the thing, like again, my my hardcore, you know, the what I know of it. Oh, it I love when I'm trying to deep. explain <laughs> songs. I'm such a Neanderthal drummer. <laughs> like I can always like vision everything and like what I'm trying to say about how a song is structured. And sometimes I do sound like the Neanderthal drummer. That's okay. <laughs> That's I think like, I think you, know, you sounded it's, very. It's funny. Uh, you, you sounded like uh, Ringo Starr and Caveman yeah. in the Neanderthal drummer. That was the movie he did. I'm right? sounding like Brendan Fraser and Encino Man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> does Brendan Fraser play drums too? No. Oh. I, I, who knows? He might. He probably. He does. didn't in Airheads though. He didn't. That's right. He was the lead singer. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, and then, because like the thing about the thing that I I've realized about Dillinger, you know. And the this because I listened to this record and some 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 of the other stuff that I did just to give myself a little bit of context is like as opposed to like other hardcore that I've heard like this is this is like it's like these songs are like a meal like there's a lot to digest yeah, a lot you know there's a lot to digest about it and like you want to go back and like be like oh there there was this part to this yeah. and things like that it it's like got it's got replay value i guess yeah. is the best way to do it it's like any any good music or show has you know there's stuff that you you miss yeah listen to this i mean like when this first came out i mean through the first like 5 years of owning this like i listen to it all the time right a four song ep which yeah. is yeah it's 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 very very thick <laughs> i mean there's so many layers to this yeah thick it's, is a thick is a good way to put yeah. it yeah uh, and then the last track, which uh, going through, so like you did, we did our due diligence in Googling this fucking record. Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff that I had found, you know, is retrospective stuff like, oh, this album was great. Or like they did a re-release of the record and people were, were reviewing that. And it was a lot of people like sort of like waxing poetic on it with the, with the, with the benefit of time looking back on it. Like, oh, this was an important gr- record and was really great and all that stuff. And this is the only track that gets somewhat some kind of criticism, and it's the cover yeah. uh, of "Come to Daddy," the cover of uh, an Aphex Twin song. Yeah, and uh, what do, what do you think about this? I mean, obviously, it seems like oddly enough, it, it, this kind of like it, like like the rest of this um, album, it's like this kind of like 
weird mix of stuff that just mixes together really well. And just like how Aphex Twin, while they're like their own thing, they do their dark stuff or he does his dark stuff, you know, like it, it, it it's not the first connection you draw, but you're like, yeah, that makes sense that they would do uh, an Aphex Twin song. Or yeah. Something like that. Uh, I actually, I love it. You I do? think it's awesome. Um, uh, it's cool because it, I think it's the most fitting um, cover they probably could have done. Yeah. Because it's they're they're combining that electronic element with this technical metal element that they do, and what better way to do that with Aphex than Aphex would come to daddy? Right. It's got that scream at the end. Um, that guitar riff is so perfect. I think it's the just, only it's, it's I don't know. It just it seems like it makes a lot of sense that they picked this. Um, and like, who else could have done this besides Mike Patton and Dillinger? Right. That's it, crazy. It, that, like, and that's the crazy thing. They will do like an insanely intense, complicated song. And that's the thing is like, it is. It, that's the thing is like, it is a weird choice, but it is oddly appropriate. Yeah. You know, for them to do. It's uh, weird. I, I read a review last night of this record when I was like, diving back into that realm, and like, someone's like ragging on this song. Right. That's and the I, thing is like, like, there. I was like, what this the is the only fuck? thing I saw of of any of this record catching any flack. And like, here's the thing I will say about it is like, even though it is like the Dillinger version of this yeah. song, it it's not changed up that much. Like, it's still kind yeah, of the I, same. I feel like now that I'm thinking about it, people are weird with covers. You know, like everybody's so critical on covers because it's not the original, so they'll be like, "It's not as good." As, like, yeah, it's it's not supposed to be as good. It's right. a fucking cover. <laughs> it's supposed to be your own version of it. Right. Well, and here, in playing in the background, yeah. is the actual the original Apex One version of Come yeah. Daddy. And you're right. It's like covers do get a lot, catch a lot of flack, but like it also is something that's like it's a it's this like weird anomaly in music because it's like it's not original, but it is original because you're you're well. Here's the thing. Sometimes you're making it your own version, but like like a cover band is not like usually making it their own version. And so like sometimes when you you have to like change it enough or put your own spin on it yeah. for it to truly be like some kind of original composition, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, think that's where a lot of the criticism comes from. Yeah. This one definitely, I mean the, the one on the Dillinger Mike Patton one sounds like Dillinger Mike Patton doing Aphex Twin. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's exactly what I would expect. So I actually thought it was even better. Than really? I was, gonna, I was like, how the fuck are they going to pull this off? Like, are there going to be real drums? Like, and of course Chris can pull that off. Sure. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny that that song is getting so much shit like on these reviews. I'm like, what the fuck did you expect? It's first of all they they did an Aphex Twin song, right. which is unbelievably difficult to do. Right. And there's real drums on it. Cuz that's the thing, even if there was fake drums, they programmed it. Let's say Chris or Ben programmed the whole thing. Uh-huh. And they put it out like that. People be like, "Oh, there's they're not real drums." Like, no one's going to be happy. Like <laughs> Well, that's, that's, but that's the other thing too is like you have to get to there's also like the weird like balancing of like well we're doing this and like you can't please everyone there's always going to be critics somebody's always going to find something yeah totally to bitch or moan about or something but yeah like I, do I do love that, that song and I think it's a great way to end that record but here's a, here's like a nugget I found. So this is this is Ben Weinman talking about uh, dissociation yeah. which is uh, is that their newest record? It yep. came out last year in 2016 yeah. Uh, it came out. So this is him talking about it. He's He says, this one's definitely, I mean, it's Dillinger. 
there's always like a pop, a potpourri of textures that go on. It's all over the spectrum. I haven't even I haven't even heard what Greg's done doing on it yet. He's out in California just working on his own. But musically, it's been written over the span of like two years, and I say it's got some weirder moments on it. I feel like it's a little bit more in the realm of the Irony is a Dead Scene EP or maybe Ira Works, which is another record they did. Uh, I think we're probably going to release it in a more interesting way than we have in the past. We're just not probably we're not sure. Probably try to do it not too traditionally. So. You, I'm sure you've heard dissociation. What do you think about that sort of comparison or that I think illusion? I think it's appropriate. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, every record more and more, Greg's been doing more experimental stuff vocally. I mm-hmm. mean, his range is getting out of control. It's mm-hmm. awesome. It's great. Uh, that one song where he like starts, I, I forget the name of it. I'm also very terrible with song names. Okay. But on the newest record, he does this one song where he just like keeps screaming more and more and more and faster and faster and starts blending in together. I feel like that's a total like patent influence thing to do. Is it towards the beginning, middle or end of the record? Um, do you remember? I think it's in the middle. Fugue, Lowfields Boulevard, Surrogate, Honeysuckle, Manufacturing Discontent. That's the middle of it. <laughs> Waiting not so much as to. I don't remember. It's okay. I listen to it. It's okay. I just put it on. And I, sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but yeah, they've been playing that song live a lot. The song that I'm trying to think of. Okay. But uh, he like starts screaming, gets faster and faster and faster and faster, and it just gets like out of control. And then right when his vocals get out of control, it just all the music just goes completely berserk. Right. Uh, which is I think very similar to how this EP is. How yeah, how it's yeah. like put together and, and all that stuff. Uh, well, that's the end of a very short episode for the most part. Yeah, it's funny. And actually, I'm just now starting to feel comfortable. Like, the whole <laughs> no. time, I was like, this is so weird. I can hear my voice. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm this weird tunnel talking about, like, this record. Like You just, are, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's, you're absolutely right. That weird. But now I'm, like, starting to feel like, man, man I can fucking sit here all day. You do this. You're in your swivel chair, you know? <laughs> Well, when you start your own podcast, because it's it, funny when you're doing this, when this this record uh-huh. is so dark and mysterious and eerie, and like first thing down, like we're like, oh man, about to get into this world of what this. Because when I listen to this record, I'm like, it's its own world. It's like, like like I was saying, like when I'm like I'm rewatching Twin Peaks right now. It's right. like its own world, and it's funny listening to this record again while watching that and just like diving into this world that they created. There's like awesome. this, there's an aesthetic to it. Yeah, like you totally. Can, like you can, there's like almost like a synesthesia where you can see. I mean, the artwork is yeah. terrifying. It's very mysterious. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very clean looking. Um, it's not like all over the place. It's just like one image of like that boy with the knife. Yeah. And like little circles. Those gears. The, are they gears? I, that's, I kind of look at them as. But they're like the circles with like they do kind of look like gears yeah. because they're varying sizes of yeah. like the same of the same shape and things like yeah. that, and they are connected. So it could be gears. Yeah, uh, we'll never the the one thing that we'll know is we'll never fucking know what those things are. Yeah, no true. one will ever be able to answer that, it. and I can never to this day figure out what the fuck these lyrics mean <laughs> like at all. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a lyric person at all. Like I said, I'm like total Neanderthal drummer. So uh-huh. I was like reading the lyrics last night. I was like, man, what the fuck. Like, this is awesome, but I have no idea what it means. <laughs> That's okay. Well, that can be something that is the eventual thing that drives you crazy. You're trying to figure this out. You've got, like, strings on your wall attached. Like, okay, yeah, this totally. lyric can mean this fucking thing. This is a reference to this that was happening at the time and yeah. all that stuff. And if you, like, flip, if you invert yeah. this and, like, this is a, yeah. I would not be surprised if there was some underlying, like, secret of this record. Like, 
something they did that was just super weird. I wouldn't either, but here's the other thing that could be the case. Like, there's not. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's exactly, exactly what it is. It's on the but surface. But that's how good it is, is that yeah, creepy and point. eerie to the point where you, you feel like that there is something there. Uh, well, Jimmy, where can people find you online? Um, what do you got to plug? Your Twitter. I'm in a band called We Were Black Clouds. Okay. It's a three-piece instrumental band. Um, we have two records out. Where can people get those on Bandcamp? Uh, yeah, you can get them everywhere. Everywhere? Yeah. Everywhere? Yeah. And go to the library and get them? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if I go there and put one there first before you get there. Yeah. <laughs> but like all the basic places, you can get it on iTunes yeah. or at Amazon. Or, yeah, the last stuff. record, Dreamcation, is um, it's still in most record stores. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. But we're looking for a new label now and working on new music and all would that you, type would of you, stuff. Would you join Epitaph? Oh, my God. I'd love to do anything right now. <laughs> Putting you on notice. Uh, but what's your Twitter? Do you want to put that out there? Uh, that I actually thing? never check Twitter ever. Um, okay. Instagram is just at Jimmy Rhodes. At Jimmy Rhodes. Standard spelling. Yeah. But Rhodes actually is not standard spelling. It's R-H-O-D-E-S. Not, yeah. not Rhodes as in plural of the thing you drive on. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks well, for having me. This is cool to just like sit here and talk about a this record. That's what the whole thing's it's, about, it's man. It's so awesome. Well, now that you're comfortable, you come on and you do another record. Oh, my God. I will come back whenever now. Now okay. that I kind of like understand how this whole how this world goes. works. I'm like, okay, now I'm... I'm here. I Start got your own podcast, man. I would love to. There's not enough podcasts out there. I'll have you on. You're going to have me on. <laughs> <Yeah. So. laughs> uh, thanks again, dude. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. History's greatest artistic works. Citizen Kane. Hamlet. The Flare Steamboat Trilogy. We'll only be discussing one of these on our new podcast, The Best There Ever Was, where we discuss the art of professional wrestling and the emotional connection that brings us back to it. On season one, we're talking about the greatest matches ever by members of the WWE Hall of Fame. But definitely not Coco Beware. I'm Fax. And I'm Chris. And join us, the Curtain Jerks, as we discuss wrestling's greatest matches on The Best There Ever Was on the Atlantic Transition Network. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!